starting in verse 13. For you were called to be free, brothers and sisters. Only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. For the whole law is fulfilled in this one statement, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out, or you will be consumed by one another. I say, then, walk by the Spirit, and you will certainly not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is against the Spirit, and the Spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other, so that you don't do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. I am warning you about these things, as I warned you before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. Now, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Would you welcome Pastor James? Good morning. Um, something I was feeling in worship before I even want to start what I have prepared is I just want to give praise and adoration back to the Lord. Would, so would you just repeat this back with me? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Lord, let that be our prayer this morning. That's the only thing you want us to hear this morning. Let it be that you are so holy. You're above all things. You're in all things. You created all things, Lord. Yet you're not some God who's far distant away from us. You came to be in the flesh, to be in relationship with us. We praise you and thank you for that. Lord, let that be our prayer. Would you work in us? Would your relationship with us transform us? And would, Lord, you just be at the centerfold of this whole message? We thank you. We praise you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Like Kate said, happy first Sunday of the new year. Uh, last Monday marked the start of 2024, and probably for the first time in my own life, this was the first year in which I didn't stay up till midnight. Um, if you didn't know, I ha we had our son Tucker. Uh, I have a picture of him. You know, aw, yeah, right. Um, and turns out that having a three-month-old really changes the plans you had for New Year's Eve. Um, instead of staying up till midnight we, and drinking our Martinelli's with my in-laws, we uh, decided to put him down and watch the East Coast Countdown, um, which I did not think I was going to be this guy, but I really enjoyed holding my tea in my hands and being like, let the ball drop and let me go to bed. I'm done with this. Um, and although it was different, it was quite different than I thought how 2023 was going to end. Uh, 2023 was a great year. 
uh, we had our son, and that was kind of the great and best highlight you could ever ask for. And it got us talking, like, how in the world is 2024 going to be better for us? Like, are we going to have another kid? Like, are we going to, probably not, but like, are we going to, like, what's going to top this? And people typically do this when they think of the new year. And in this case, 2024, how do we make this year the best year yet? And they make New Year's resolutions. And I was researching and found that Forbes did this small study of about 1,000 people in which they found that 62% of people feel pressured or will do a New Year's resolution. So that means every two out of three of you in here probably have made a New Year's resolution. And 48% of those people say they want to improve fitness. 38% they want to improve finances. 36 say they want to do mental health. People want to improve. And 86% of these people say that they think it'll leave a positive impact in 2024. So out of everyone who did a New Year's resolution, they think it'll have a positive impact, right? But here's where it got interesting. Only 20% of people say that they will keep themselves accountable to actually holding on to their resolution, which that's not shocking. People typically don't hold true to their New Year's resolutions. It takes about three and a half months on average for people to kind of say, I'm done. But really, 80% say, you know what? I want to do this, but I'm not going to follow through. Like, that doesn't make sense. And so Forbes did another study a few years back on why do New Year's resolutions fail. And the number one reason was that they found it's your consciousness that needs to change before your behavior can change. Meaning if your mind doesn't believe you're going to do it, your actions will never follow. So what does that have to do with Galatians 5 and the fruit of the Spirit? Well, if New Year's resolutions are indicative of human beings, people want to change. People want to be better people. And when it comes to the fruit of the Spirit, we see that these are lists of virtues that Christians should exhibit to be more like Christ and, in essence, be better people. And if you're anything like me, I look at this passage and look at the fruit of the Spirit and say, man, I need to do love better. I need to do joy better. I need to do these things better. And we treat the fruit of the Spirit like a New Year's resolution. In all reality, though, the fruit of the Spirit can only be given by the Spirit. You and I cannot achieve them on our own. And if we try to muster up these virtues and do them on our own, we will fail drastically to actually exude fruit in our lives. But if we abide in the Spirit and trust that He will change us, our actions will change from the inside out. And this idea of abiding in fruit comes from John 15. It says, I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit, because you can do nothing without me. Notice something about this passage. It doesn't just say, if you abide in me, you'll produce much fruit. It's very clear. It says, I in him, Christ in you, produces much fruit, because you can do nothing without him. Jesus is super clear. You can't do anything. And not because he wants to belittle you, but he wants to show you, you need need to depend on him. And he wants you to depend on him, so he can bear much fruit in you as you abide in him. And to abide— means that we're just remaining apart from him. We're not departing. We're letting him transform our lives. We're letting him direct us, and we're allowing him to make us better followers of him. Because on the flip side, if we don't abide in him, we are probably abiding in the world. And the world, and Jesus doesn't want us to abide in the world because the world, if we abide in the world, we will produce fruit of the world. Two authors that I deeply admire say this, the fruit of our lives— reveals the root of our heart. 
It's not that we work for salvation. Rather, we work from salvation. These two are saying that the root of our hearts dictate what we abide in. And when our hearts are rooted uh, in abiding in Jesus, we are putting our faith in the works of his death, burial, and resurrection. And through those works that we abide in, we attain salvation. And from there, we get to abide in him. See how we earn salvation from Jesus alone and not ourselves? And from there we abide? Because if you do it the other way around and you try to work for your salvation, you're going to probably work for Jesus out of obligation. You're going to try to bear fruit saying, I want to be better, better, better. And you'll never be able to produce actual good works because all it will be is trying to prove yourself. And if you're not following Jesus in this room, there's a good chance that you're trying to be a good person there's nothing bad about that. But we discover that the fullness of being a good person, the fullness of eternal life, the fullness of fruit that can be bore is through Jesus and his Holy Spirit transforming us. So where is your heart rooted this morning? What are you abiding in? Are you trying to work to be a better person? Are you trying to bear fruit kind of like a New Year's resolution? Or are you trying to abide deeper in Christ and trying to have your heart rooted in him so he can produce much fruit in you? Because we're going to see as we look at this passage that we either have good fruit rooted in the Holy Spirit because we allow him to transform us, or we have bad fruit because we're rooted in the works of the flesh. So that's where we're going to start. We have to understand what are the works of the flesh and what, do we now, what are we now called to live in and how can we attain and produce much fruit? That's where we start in verses 13 through 15, where Paul says, you have now freedom from the flesh. Verse 13, you were called to be free, brothers and sisters. Only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. For the whole law is fulfilled in one statement, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out, or you'll be consumed by one another. In this freedom, all believers have the choice do I want to live just for Jesus? Do I want to live both Jesus and the flesh? Or do I want to just live for the flesh and just say I worship Jesus? Because Paul is saying, if you have freedom, you ought to not live in the flesh anymore. Now this brings up a good point. Do I actually have true freedom in Christ if I follow him? Because oftentimes people are like, well, there's a bunch of rules to that. So like, is that actual freedom? Aren't you restricted? Well, in some ways it might feel like that. But when we understand that we abide in Jesus first and we're not proving ourselves, we allow him to flow inside of us. And the rules, so to speak, that we live out are just the good fruit that we're saying, you know what, I love him, so I'm going to serve him in this way. And that's how we attain true freedom, saying, God, I'm allowing you to work inside of me. Because if we try to prove ourselves through the law, like the Jews in Galatia were trying to do, all that does is not lead to righteousness, but pride. Because we try to prove ourselves and say, look at me, look at everything I'm trying to do. And then that pride, all that does is lead to fleshly living. So, how do we abide in Jesus? What does that mean? Does that mean freedom? Does that not mean freedom? I think it does mean freedom. And as we live freely in Jesus, I just want you to know, there's probably going to come a time where you mess up. And that's not what Paul's talking about fleshly living here. He's talking about the person who says, I don't want anything to do with Jesus, or if I do, I still want to live my way over here. 
I want to hold on to this small box of fleshly living and how I want to live. But Jesus doesn't give us that option. He says you have to choose either one or the other. So what about the flesh? What does it mean to not live freely in the flesh? Because like I said, if you live by Jesus, then you have to follow a set of rules. So wouldn't living in the flesh just indicate that, no, I don't have to follow any rules? Well, yes, you're not following any rules, per se, but you're shackled to the ways of the world. You might call yourself free, but you're still a slave to how other people want you to live. You're still a slave to try to prove yourself. You're still a slave to the flesh. So although you might think you're living freely, you're really living how other people want you to live. And therefore, freedom in Jesus gives us freedom to love others freely. And why is that? Because love, which is seen as the epitome of this whole entire passage, comes only from the Lord. Yes, you can have romantic love outside of Jesus. You can have friendship love. But divine love can only come from the God of the universe. Because divine, the supernatural love, transforms us from the inside out. And it allows us to really see people for who they are and serve them for who they're meant to be. So now verses 16 and 18 come in. And there's this theme of abiding. We have freedom, but what do we live in? Do we live in the flesh with that freedom, or do we live in the Spirit? That's where abiding comes in. It says, I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you will certainly not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is against the Spirit, and the Spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other, so that you don't do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Paul is reiterating, now that you have freedom in Christ, walk by the Spirit. He's telling the Jews in Galatia, which extends to all of us, live in freedom. Walk by the Spirit. You've been set free with such an amazing gift of salvation. Live and walk by the Spirit. And that means if we don't, we're living in the flesh still, which reveals this truth that no matter how we live, we are abiding in something. No matter how we live, we are abiding in something. So we're either abiding in the flesh or the spirit. And these oppose one another. He's very clear. You can't do both. They oppose. Because if we live by the spirit, we get to escape the flesh. Because we want to. Our desires have transformed, and we want to escape the flesh. And on that one hand, because they conflict each other, the spirit is striving against all things evil in our lives. He's desire, he wants us to desire him. On the other hand, you have the flesh trying to devour you like a starving, starving lion goes after its prey. It won't stop at anything until it gets you. Yet that's where we find the Spirit abiding in us. And he's not just some consciousness that exists outside of time. He's like, yeah, whatever, you should do this. He's God Almighty, third person of the Trinity, loves you so deeply. He doesn't love you from afar. He comes alongside you and lives inside of you. He's the comforter, the counselor. He directs your step and he guides it and he wants you to follow suit. And he wants you to follow suit away from the works of the flesh, which we see are now listed in verses 19 and 21. Now the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. I'm warning you about these things, as I warned you before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's intense. 
I do these things, I won't inherit the kingdom of God? James, last week, like, it's been seven days of the new year, and I already messed up. Does that mean I will not inherit the kingdom of God? Paul is referencing those people who don't want to give up both ways of living. We will mess up. We live in a sinful world. Yet we have the Holy Spirit who's our comforter. So those of you who want to live righteously, he's saying, I'm here. I want to partner with you. I want to live with you and in you. And maybe you're walking in here saying, James, I messed up on half of those in this last week alone. The Holy Spirit wants to be in relationship with you. There's nothing you could ever do that's too far gone from the love of God. He wants a relationship with you. Maybe some of you are thinking, like, I don't do those things. Those are all like the quote-unquote big sins. Like, I don't do those things. Do you have a little bit of pride in you? Do you struggle with jealousy? Do you sometimes sin in your anger? Even the littlest bits of thing, if we're holding on to them in this little box in our pocket, God wants us to surrender it and say, you are mine. I don't want you to live like that anymore. So how does he want us to live? He wants us to abide and bear much fruit, which is what it says in verse 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. Notice how he says, but. It's a contrast. They're completely separate from one another. And notice the details and grammar that Paul uses here. He says, the works of the flesh, insinuating that they're plural. There's many ways in which you can live in the works of the flesh. But the fruit, it doesn't say fruits, it says the fruit of the Spirit, meaning something singular. Which Freight Gabling says this, the singular form stresses that these qualities are a unity, like a bunch of grapes instead of separate pieces of fruit, and also that they are all to be found in all Christians. It's one complete work given to you. When you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, it says, here's my fruit. Here's how you can magnify the world to point other people to Jesus. The fruit is given completely. And maybe you're thinking, well, I, I don't feel like I have, like, all of them. Does that mean I don't have the Holy Spirit in me? No, no, no. Don't hear this as discouraging. Hear this as encouragement that you don't have to work for them anymore because the Holy Spirit wants to produce all of them in you. And even if you can't see them all in your life, all fruit came from a seed at one point. It might just take time for you to just abide deeper. We serve a very patient God who doesn't want you to strive for work. He wants you to abide and allow him to produce good fruit inside of every single one of you. Produces freedom. Freedom to not have to work, which is amazing. And hear me, that the Holy Spirit is the main one who produces in you. But this does not mean that we get to just stand idly by, twiddling our thumbs, doing nothing. It's kind of like if you were uh, picking fruit on a tree, climbs up the ladder, and it's like, okay, I'm dropping fruit down. You have two choices. You can either sit at the base of the tree saying, okay, God, whenever you want to, like, drop something in my lap would be great now. Or you can grab the basket and say, Lord, I'm here for you. Whatever you want to drop in my life, I'm ready to catch. I'm ready to abide. I'm ready to just be in relationship with you. Because abiding is not about doing. It's about being with God. How can you abide deeper and be with him in a deeper relationship? 
Let me talk about these fruit too. Um, love is listed first, which is very specific and it is intentional that it was listed first because it means that it's the most prominent of all the gifts. If you don't have love, you don't have any of the other ones. Because love is agape love. The Greek word there isn't a familial love. It's not a friendship. It's not a romantic. It's divine, supernatural love. And divine love is love that's unmerited. It means you did nothing to deserve it, but God graciously gives it to every single one of us, even if you don't accept it. It's great. It's supernatural. It means it's something that we cannot even fathom because it's that amazing in our lives. Even if we don't accept it, it's still this great love. It's transformational. If your friends, if you've been transformed by the love of God, if your friends see you one year and they see you five years later, your life shouldn't look at all the same because God has transformed you through his love. And lastly, it's unchangeable, which very simply means it does not change. But that should be encouraging. We kind of like overpass, like it's unchangeable. Well, yeah, I kind of knew that. But sometimes we forget that in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of our troubles, in the midst of the times that I'm not obedient to God, he still loves me the same as when he called me to be his son and daughter from heaven. His love never changes, which means as he searched for you with his love, you ought to search for other people and bring them to the amazing knowledge of how Christ died for every single one of you. Our love ought to be absorbed, but then sought out after other people. Next one, joy, gladness. This is used 70 different times in the New Testament because it's that important. And this is not a circumstantial feeling. That's like happiness. If people throw me a surprise birthday party, I'm going to be happy. If maybe my puppy dies, I'm going to be sad. It's based on circumstances. But in both those moments, joy can still be found because it's a gift from God that humans cannot add to or detract from because it's that good of a gift. It's saying, I feel so amazing in my heart because God has transformed my life. God saved me, and no one else can take that away from me. I, therefore, have so much joy living inside of me. Which brings us to peace or tranquility. If joy speaks of the exhilaration of heart that comes from being right with God, then peace reverts to the tranquility of mind that comes from that saving relationship. That's what John MacArthur, the uh, Reformed theologian, pastor says there's nothing I can do that can separate me therefore I'm going to be still I'm going to be a non-anxious presence I have a peace that makes no sense because I'm right with God I live in a saving relationship with God which means I also have to extend that to others even if I don't want to in my home do I extend peace to others between different people groups do I extend peace to all different kinds of people? Within the church, you might disagree on every secondary issue possible. You might disagree on politics. You might disagree on fill in the blank, but you are brothers and sisters saved with the same blood of Christ. Are you going to extend peace to one another? In whatever relationships inside or out of the church, we extend peace. Patience, perseverance, this idea of long-suffering, that in the midst of hardships, in the midst, midst of persecution, in the midst of any single season I'm going through, am I going to remain true to the Word of God? 
We're going to say, I don't feel him this season. I'm just going to give up. He was long-suffering for you on that cross. Therefore, we ought to just say, you know what? I don't feel you right now, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to remain true. I'm going to remain true to your word. Also, he's slow to anger with every single one of us. So are you slow to anger with other people around you? That's what he desires. That's what he wants for your life. Last few, kindness or integrity. Do I treat other with kindness? Even when they disrespect me, do I extend kindness back? Do I extend disrespect back? Do I belittle them despite the fact that they were also made in the image of God too? Goodness or being morally upright. This is looking at the laws and the commands of Jesus and saying, I'm going to live by these. Even if people are twisting my arm, peer pressuring me, whatever, I'm going to live by the standard of God that he has asked me to live by. Faithfulness, which is loyalty and trustworthiness. Just as Christ was loyal even though he had hardships going to the cross in the garden, he still delivered, and he was still faithful. Are you faithful to him? Are you faithful to other people as well? When you give your word, do you retract it because it's inconvenient to you? Or you say, you know what? I'm going to follow through just like my Lord and Savior followed through for me. Gentleness, which is meekness. In my many years of marriage, which is one and a half, um, I have found that even the right thing said, but said in the wrong way, is the wrong thing all the time. If I was wronged by my wife, and I, like, man, you made me feel so wrong, I point the finger, and I just push blame, push blame, and said it very aggressively. Even though I was right that I felt wrong, I just wronged her. But if I say in a humble heart, because I've sought the Lord, I've sought, can you help me be gentle in this conversation? The right thing in a gentle way is the right thing all the time. How can you seek rightness and gentleness in every relationship you have? And lastly, self-control, which scholars argue that this is just talking about sexual sin, which although that is true, we should have control in our sexual desires, there's other sins and other things that we should not indulge in that we need God's help to control. Do you get angry and have bursts of anger that are not controlled? Do you have selfish desires that you don't control very well? Self-control is from God, and we need to depend on him a lot for that. And lastly, there's this phrase at the end of verse 23 that says, against, no, against such things there is no law, which is like, okay, what does that even mean? Like, Against such things there is no law. Like, if we live in this way of abiding in the Spirit, no law of telling us how to rightfully live could ever come against these things from God. The law was put in place to help us connect with God, be in closer covenant or promise with Him, and the ways of the fruit of the Spirit are telling us, here's how you connect with God. Here's how you abide better. Here's how you bear fruit. So if you live these out, if you abide in Christ, there's no law that would ever say that is wrong. So how do we live these spirit, the Spirit-filled life by abiding in Him? The first one is walking in repentance. Walking in repentance. Verse 24 says, Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Paul is referencing back to the crucifixion of Jesus. And if you remember, Jesus says, take up your cross daily and follow me. 
in order to follow him, you have to take up your cross daily. It, although repentance is saying, I'm not going to live this way anymore, and it's coming into a saving relationship with God, it also is a daily reminder that I need to lay everything down at the cross because none of it's mine. And any sinful desire I have needs to be given to him. The late Timothy Keller says this, fear-based repentance makes us hate ourselves. Joy-based repentance makes us hate the sin. Fear-based repentance is the same idea as the kid who gets caught sticking their hand in the cookie jar when they're not, they know they're not supposed to. It's like they got the cookie in their hand, they're reaching up, they're about to put it in their mouth, and their parent from behind is like, what are you doing? And the kid's like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Fear-based repentance is, oh, I realize I just got caught. I don't actually feel bad for my actions, but I'm going to say I'm sorry in order to not be smited. Fear-based repentance is this fear that if I don't get right with God, like, ah, I don't know, like, does he actually save me? Does he actually love me? Versus joy-based repentance, which comes from daily walking and remembering the joy that we get in the cross. Saying, Lord, you are now my Savior. You are now my all in all. I don't want anything that differs from you. I only want your way. Therefore, anything that opposes you, I lay down at the cross. And the joy that comes from that is I'm now closer to my Savior. I'm becoming more like him. I'm allowing him to refine me. I'm saying, Lord, please, with everything in me, let me be more like you. It's not fear that I just got caught. It's joy knowing I'm getting closer to him. And yeah, that means I have to sacrifice my old ways of living, but that's okay if I get to come in closer relationship with him. Joy-based repentance comes from joy from the cross. How do we get there? Second way is by walking by the Spirit. Walking by the Spirit. There's two references in this passage that kind of uh, talk about walking. Uh, the first one is in verse 16, where it says, walk by the Spirit, which means choose the Spirit instead of the flesh. But in verse 25, he also says, keep in step with the Spirit. Which means if I'm right here, I'm drawing a straight line to the Spirit, and I'm not going on either side of it. And for some of you, that sounds really intimidating. Like, I literally can never mess up. I have to stay on this line. Yes, no. You're gonna mess up. But in your heart, do you have the willingness to say, Lord, would you help me? Because you're not just walking towards God. He is walking right back at you. He's saying, my son, my daughter, I'm not some far distant God. I'm here with you. And he extends a hand of grace, extends a hand of understanding. Our Lord and Savior experienced all the pain and suffering that we didn't have to. But he knows we will go through some. But he's experienced that pain. He says, I'm right here with you. When I was at man camp this last year, um, the speaker was talking about how every morning, he first thing he did was he used the restroom. I don't know why, but um, he's, I was like, where are you going with this, man? Um, but he's saying, that's my first 10 to 20 steps in the morning. And as silly as it sounds, that's when I get right and I'm guided by the Holy Spirit the most. Because I'm just saying, God, in the first 10 to 20 steps of my day, would you guide my steps? And he said, every time I don't do that, the rest of my day follows suit. I don't pray. I don't ask. 
But if your first 10 to 20 steps every morning, whatever it is you're going to, were followed by God, would you just guide me and direct me and help me stay in the right way? I guarantee you're going to see so much change. Another way we can walk by the Spirit is by doing the 21 days of prayer and fasting. Slight plug, yeah. But think about it. When we fast, we are getting rid of any distractions that aren't focused on God. And fasting, the whole point of it and the whole focus of it is to bring clarity to mind on how I can better follow him. And 21 days has been psychologically proven to be the right way to build a habit and the right way to sustain a habit. So for the next 21 days, can you pray? Can you fast something? Can you get, or not get, but like try your best to just be deeper in relationship with the Lord and Savior? And maybe you need help, which is my third application point. Walk with others. Jesus walked amongst us and communed with us. He asked us to also love our neighbors as ourselves. And yes, that is acts of service. But as Christ followers walking alongside of each other, we are meant to encourage one another. And yes, that is the go get them, you're doing awesome. But that's also the hey, how are you doing in trying to strive for holiness? How are you doing in abiding? Loving our neighbors, asking the hard questions, and helping them get on the right path back to God. And maybe you need that in this season. Maybe you need guidance to better help you abide so you can produce much fruit. Whatever, wherever you are, are at, will you make that your New Year's resolution this year? Yes, finances, diets, physical fitness, all that are great things. And I encourage you to also do those things. But would abiding deeper be the focal point of 2024? If you wrote a list of everything that happens this year, would the top of it be, I'm going to abide deeper because I need a better relationship with the Lord? And maybe this morning you're right there. You're like, I feel like I exude fruit. Like, I feel like I've been walking in step really well. And I encourage you, keep doing that. I'm happy for you that that's happening. But there's other people who are not so sure where their fruit's at. And they need someone to come alongside them. Not to say, hey, look at me, come do what I'm doing. But rather, if the God of the universe, our comforter, our Holy Spirit, can come alongside of us, you also have the great joy to come alongside other people as well. And in addition, would you just choose to abide deeper? And maybe you're that person in this room who's like, I need guidance. James, I don't see any of the fruit in my life, but I want to follow Jesus. Can I give you encouragement? Like I said earlier, all fruit started from a seed at one point or another. And the Lord's not standing there with his arms crossed, looking at his watch, being like, why aren't, why aren't you bearing fruit? And I want nothing to do with you. He's standing there with a hand extended saying, I'm right here, son. I'm right here, daughter. You're made righteous and redeemed from my works, not your own. And would you pray and ask for vulnerability to help, uh, ask for guidance from other people to help guide you in the right way? And lastly, if you're in here and you don't know Jesus, you're like, I need, I need peace. My life's an anxious train wreck, and I need peace. I need love. I don't know what love is. Like, Jesus is the fulfillment of every single one of these fruit. And he died on the cross to show you his great love. 
But let me tell you, he did not just stay on that cross. He was buried. And he didn't stay in the grave either. He rose three days later to show you he's God Almighty and not some far and distant God, but the God who came to save you. And he wants that relationship with you. So we're going to take three minutes. I want you to just process, who am I? Am I struggling? Am I doing really well? Do I not know Jesus? I want you to ask yourself, how can I walk in repentance? How can I walk by the Spirit? How can I walk with others this season? Take three minutes, and then we'll join back up for communion.